Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 14. If you would, uh, if you're able to stand, please, for the reading of God's word. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Galatia. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. This is the word of God. Let's try it again. This is the word of God. Amen. You may be seated. From this passage on this Juneteenth Sunday, I'll preach from the title, Freedom is for Love. You turn to your neighbor and say, freedom is for love. Freedom is for love. In her little book titled On Juneteenth, author, historian, and law professor Annette Gordon-Reed asks this question. What has it meant? What does it mean? For blacks to claim Americanness, while substantial number of their fellow Americans reject the idea that blacks can be true Americans. And that they have used their greater numbers to make that rejection the basis of law and social policy. Dr. Gordon Reed is reflecting on the social dynamic of exclusion, which manifested so obviously on that first Juneteenth when enslaved African Americans in Galveston, Texas, learned of their freedom a full two and a half years after Abraham Lincoln's Emancipation Proclamation. And I would suggest that her question remains relevant to our own times as well. What does it mean to claim citizenry in the home of the free when freedom is used for violence? plunder, and even death. About the ways that, uh, the ways the gun violence in Chicago is used as an excuse for inaction on federal gun legislation, my friend Pastor Charlie Dates recently wrote an article which said in part, we know that you don't actually care about the black lives lost to gun violence here. If you did, You wouldn't use dead black boys and girls as a political tool. You would see their tragic deaths as a catalyst for action. The tendency to turn freedom into a destructive tool for self-indulgence is not unique to our country even if we have perfected the deadly ends of self-centered, so-called freedom. The young Christians in Galatia were struggling to understand their newfound freedom in Christ. The young Christians in Galatia were, were trying to get their heads around what it meant to be free people and what the purpose of their freedom was. And in these two verses, Paul reminded them that their God-given freedom was not for self-indulgence, but for love. Now, for the past few years, our church has recognized the Juneteenth weekend as an opportunity to lift up the liberation themes which run throughout Scripture. 
And as I was preparing for this Sunday, given everything that's happening around us, I couldn't help but think about the strange way that our country imagines freedom. On January 6, 2021, we saw a warped vision of freedom which depended on the violent suppression of more than half of this nation's voters, including 90% of African-American voters. Or consider that after each mass shooting, we are told time and time again that any restriction on the use of guns in this country is a violation of personal liberties. Never mind the freedoms of our school children or of black communities in Charleston or Buffalo or Chicago or, or, or. And while my sense is that most of us in this room instinctively see through these hollow appeals to so-called freedom for the lies they actually are, it is still important that we understand clearly that our Christian faith has something to say about this false version of freedom. This is not a partisan ideology. This is basic to our faith in the Lord Jesus. For us, followers of Jesus, any so-called freedom which expresses itself in self-indulgence, coercion, violence, is fundamentally at odds with the freedom granted by Jesus Christ. Our freedom is categorically different because it is directed at something fundamentally different. Freedom is for love. Freedom is for love. The freedom won for us by Jesus is first for loving the God who created us to love and to be loved. And in these verses, we find that freedom is also for loving our family of faith, for loving our neighbors, and for loving ourselves. Can you say, freedom is for loving our family? I'm thinking about our family of faith. I'm thinking about the the people sitting next to you today, whether you've been at this church a long time or whether you are our guest this morning. The Apostle Paul says, you were called to freedom. You notice the past tenseness of that phrase? You were called to freedom. Anybody know that you didn't free yourself? (laughs) Uh, Paul says in Romans 5 and 8, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. (laughs) We were called to freedom which means that we were called from sin. We were called from addiction. We were called from despair. We were called from bondage. We were called from generational sin. We were called from family trauma. When, when we couldn't rescue ourselves, we were called to freedom. Now, we have an enemy who did his best to hide our freedom from us. 
he tried to muffle the good news. He, he might be trying to muffle the good news for some of you today. This enemy tries to turn the volume up on our sin, on this world's injustice, on evil itself, so that we couldn't hear the cry of freedom. Ask yourself, have you been able to hear your call to freedom lately, or has all you've been able to hear sin, injustice, evil, wickedness, oppression, coercion, manipulation. If so, can I suggest that the devil has turned the volume up a little too loud in your ears? Because we have been called for freedom. The enemy does his best to turn the volume up on our sin, but do you know that a freedom which broke open a grave, a freedom which tremored the earth and turned noonday skies to midnight, a freedom that plundered hell and outwitted the devil and resurrected life from death, that kind of freedom can't be muffled. <laughs> like the emancipating freedom which crossed the borders of enslaving states, the saving call of freedom reached our ears despite the devil's best intents. <laughs> While we were yet sinners... <laughs> while we were yet entrapped, while we were yet bound up, while we were yet resigned to our desperate circumstances, Christ died for us. Freedom called for you. And Pastor Michelle, I'm tempted to just stay there and just hang out there the rest of this sermon. But, but Paul says something important. He says, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for self-indulgence. Now, we need to break this down a little bit. Literally, Paul says, don't use your freedom for the flesh. And in Scripture, the flesh usually has in mind that sin nature apart from the grace of God. And the Galatians seem to have directed their newfound freedom in Christ toward a fleshly self-indulgence in two different directions. Some of them were choosing the law. Some of them said, I, I need to, to do enough. I need to become culturally different in order to be accepted by Jesus. And, and then another group seems to have directed their self-indulgent tendencies towards satisfying the desires of the flesh. A few verses later in our passage, Paul identifies some of these warped desires. Sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, anger, quarrels, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and then just to be safe, and things like these. <laughs> Friends, both of these are expressions of self-indulgence. On the one hand, that legalistic tendency is, is self-righteousness. <laughs> And self-righteousness asks, what do I need to do in order to be acceptable? And then in the other direction, we have self-gratification. And self-gratification asks, what do I want to do in order to be okay? Self-righteousness and self-gratification are two sides to the same self-indulgent coin. The focus is on me. But the freedom won by Jesus is not for self-indulgence. This freedom is for love. Sisters and brothers, through love, serve one another. We are called 
sisters and brothers, to love our family of faith by serving each other. Like, it's practical. You can tell if it's happening or not. Like, like Christian people, we don't just say, I, I love you. And don't you feel good about the fact that I love you? <laughs> Doesn't your heart feel warm and your skin feel tingly because I love you? And in a church like ours, doesn't it feel good that, that people of different ethnicities and race say, I, no, 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 no. Christian people show our love by our service towards one another. The Galatian church were made up of Jew and Greek, free and enslaved, women and men. They brought with them all of the hierarchical assumptions of their day. But in church, they were sisters and brothers. In church, they upended completely the expectations of their segregated status quo. Christian freedom looks like serving one another. Christian freedom looks like all of us serving one another regularly. Now that might look like, Amy, can I get a witness? Serving for the, signing for the hospitality team. Or saying, yeah, I want to help disciple our children. Yeah, it, it might look like you noticing that somebody's going through a hard time. So you, you pick up the phone and say, I'm going to bring you a meal this week. I'm going to door dash you a meal this week. It could look a whole lot of different ways. But Christian love, motivated by freedom, is always expressed through service. I was thinking about this, and, and one of the, the amazing, beautiful gifts that I've experienced in the life of our church over the years that I can take no credit for is the way that the men in our church have exhibited this posture of service in our church. I mean, it's awesome the way that the men in this church serve, usually quite, I'm not, I'm, Women, you serve too as well. But on this Father's Day, I, I just want to lift up and thank the men of our church for serving so humbly and faithfully. <laughs> we did our cookout yesterday, and John Hickernell was on the grill for a good three or four hours just doing his thing. And he got there, and he found out that I didn't have all the right grill things to, to, so he could really, you know, do the grilling with excellence and his standards. The man drove home to get his own things to bring them back to make sure we would all eat very, very well. He's not here today, but I've mentioned before, Brent Rowland. Brent's here? No, no. Uh, sorry, going to someone else. Brent Rowland has been coming to our church since day one, leading the sound ministry on the soundboard, week after week after week, training new people in the back, just making sure that things can happen okay. This week, my dad took multiple hours off from work, drove up to the north side, to the north side, somebody, to, 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 to find that big old fan that's making us a little bit cool right now, disassemble it, drag it down, put it back together so that you could be a little bit cooler here on a Sunday morning. Last Sunday during our panel, I was sitting up here, and all of a sudden I heard some voices behind me. And we had a, a guest who was a little bit confused and needed a little bit of help standing over here kind of talking a little bit out loud. And I just looked in the back, and William just caught my eyes. I says, I, he said, I got this. He just walked up real kind and lovingly and patiently talk to that man, make sure everything was okay. The men in our church do this stuff over and over again. I got one more person I got to shout out. My son, Elliot. Yeah. Elliot, let me tell you before you clap, let me tell you. When we figured out we had to start learning how to broadcast church live, uh, which I did not have a seminary class for, <laughs> Elliot helped me figure that out. And week after week after week, 
when different ones of us, for very good reasons, didn't feel comfortable coming in person to the ministry center, Elliot said, I'll go. I'll be there. I'm going to figure this out with you. And I'm telling you, for months after months after months, the reason that you got to participate in church without ever knowing what was going on behind the scenes was because of an 11-year-old, then a 12-year-old, then a 13-year-old made that happen for you. And listen, a lot of that is just in him, but a lot of that he picked up from watching you men in our church. It's how we do it. We demonstrate this love and this freedom by serving one another. So ask yourself, which of your sisters and brothers in this room right now have you recently served? Like in a practical, tangible way, how have you, I'm, I'm, I'm going to call them out right now. I got a text message from Brian and Juliana like two weeks ago. These people are the busiest people in the state of Illinois right now. Literally. There's nobody busier than them. And they texted me and just said, how are you doing, Pastor? How can we be praying for you? What do you got going on? I said, how do you have time and capacity to be thinking about who are you serving practically in our church community right now? This is what we do together. Because freedom is for loving our family. Secondly, freedom is for loving our neighbors. Can you say freedom is for loving our neighbors? The freedom of Christ is not limited to our church. Paul says you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And he's riffing here on Jesus who sums up the law and the commands by saying love God, love your neighbor. Paul's like even that's too long. Just love your neighbor. (laughs) As a way of loving God, make sure you're loving your neighbor. We use our freedom to love our neighbors. Some of you know this already, but between 1994 and 2004, there was an assault weapons ban in this country. And during those 10 years, you and I were 70% less likely to be killed in a mass shooting during that assault weapons ban. Today, the CDC estimates that, that firearms are the leading cause of death for our children in this country. Friends, if freedom is to be used for loving our neighbors, then supporting legislation which would reduce death by firearms is an obvious way to use our freedom in Christ to love our neighbors. There is nothing complicated about that. There is nothing uh, surprising about that. There's nothing controversial about that. There's nothing partisan about that. That is basic Christian love. You have been freed to love your neighbor. Now, let's keep it real. You don't have to like your neighbor. You don't always have to get along with your neighbor. You don't always have to enjoy your neighbor's company. But friends, you've been freed to love your neighbor. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, uh, we were at our boys, uh, it might have been their last soccer game. We're at this so- soccer field on a Saturday morning, and, and Maggie was talking to, to one of the moms, and the mom said, hey, let me introduce you to some, some of the other uh, mothers. And it just so happened that all of these mothers, except for Maggie, their children ex- attend a rather exclusive, uh, extremely expensive uh, private school. And, uh, and this, this woman is talking to Maggie, who's so nice, so kind, so friendly. They have a mutual friend. And this woman looks over to these other three women who are sitting on a blanket and say, hey, I want to introduce you to Maggie. She knows this other mutual friends. And do you know that none of those women even looked up 
to acknowledge my wife's presence, they, they, it was like she, because, because we are not a part of this rather exclusive relatively. Now, that's my interpretation. <laughs> and, if, and, and when I tell you that nothing gets under my skin like something like that, ooh, I was mad. Still a little bit mad. And yet, and still, I'm called to love those neighbors too. Mm. It can be hard to love our neighbors, can't it? Let's be real, 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 real. What about the people who support the January 6th insurrection? What about the people who want to make it harder for persons of color in this country to vote? What about the neighbors who prefer fascism to democracy as long as it preserves white supremacy? What about loving those neighbors? I promise you, I really want to say no. I really want to say that there are some exceptions, some footnotes, some clauses to Jesus' mandate to love our neighbors. And then, unfortunately, I remember Jesus hanging from that cross on Calvary surveying those who nailed his body to the tree and crying out in love for forgiveness. I remember that God loves me even when I have and when I do live opposed to his good and pleasing and perfect will. I remember the parable of the Good Samaritan and how it is just as unsettling today as it was to those who first heard Jesus tell that unoffensive parable. So yes, sadly, unfortunately, we are called to love all of our neighbors without exception. Okay, but let's remember the big picture. We have been freed to love our neighbors. Now, I think that's very important because this means that any love of our neighbors, especially the ones who value their liberty over your life, any love of those neighbors which does not result in your freedom is not what God is calling you to. Did you catch that? If, 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 if freedom is for loving our neighbors, then any neighbor love which does not result in our freedom is not what we are called to. So, how do we love that particular neighbor? How do we love those neighbors? We recognize that their tendencies towards selfishness, narcissism, and dehumanization are a sign of their captivity. Our love for those neighbors will be expressed by not allowing their captivity to claim us, but by proclaiming the liberating truth over their lives. Are you with me? Loving that sort of neighbor looks like speaking truthfully, setting really good boundaries, and not giving away even a single ounce of the freedom that Jesus died to give you. So we can love all of our neighbors, amen? So let me ask you to think of one neighbor 
God has freed you to love. One flesh and blood person in your life, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, who God has called you to love. Now, (laughs) given the context, this might be someone who's a little bit difficult to love. How have you been freed to love that person? What would freedom-oriented love look like for that person? How can you live out of your freedom to love that neighbor this week? Finally, freedom is for loving ourselves. Can you say that? Freedom is for loving ourselves. Jesus sets us free from self-indulgence to the law and to the flesh in order that we love others. Paradoxically, one of those others we love is ourselves. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. To love family and to love neighbors as ourselves, we got to love ourselves, right? It's basic. Jesus and Paul just assume that that's happening, that we are all loving ourselves. Is it even necessary for us to talk about this? Don't we all do a good job at this already? Aren't you good at loving yourself? Remember those two tendencies we talked about a minute ago? towards self-righteousness or self-gratification? In self-righteousness, I tell myself I will do enough in order that I will be enough. And guess what? There's always more to do. With self-gratification, I say I will take enough in order to be enough, but there's always more to take. And most of us don't have one or the other. We have a kind of toxic mix of both of these things, right? Self-righteous, working hard, doing everything we can until we exhaust ourselves and we think we've earned some (laughs) self-gratification. So then we take and we take and we take until we start to feel kind of icky and kind of guilty and say, oh, I got to start doing again. I got to start being productive again. I got to start leaning into that self-righteousness again. And so we work and we strive and we talk and we get tired. And we say, I think I put in enough energy and effort. So let me take and let me take and let me binge and let me take. And I feel, oh, I don't feel good. And if we're honest, that's actually the rhythm of a lot of our lives. Friends, that is not loving ourselves. Self-righteousness, let me say this super clearly. Self-righteousness and self-gratification share the inability to rest. When we're living out of self-righteousness, I got to do more, I got to do more, I got to do more. We can't rest. When we're in a mode of self-gratification, even if it looks like from the outside you're sprawled on your couch with potato chips all down your your front and the the, the remote hanging out your hand, you got to keep taking and taking and taking. It's not rest. And friends, the ability to rest is always a characteristic of freedom. The ability to stop and to rest is one of the fruits of our freedom in Christ. During seasons when I struggle to rest, 
Part of the problem might just be logistics and details. I've done a bad job managing my calendar. I've said yes to too many things. That's possible. But I've been at this long enough that I know that during seasons when I have struggled to regularly rest intentionally, purposefully, there is most likely something deeper going on. I have probably backslidden from freedom into the self-indulgent cycle of self-righteousness and self-gratification. I have backslidden from freedom into the cycle of self-indulgence. The realization that I am too busy to rest is actually an invitation to love myself more. When we realize that we are not resting, hear that as an invitation to love yourself more. Jesus sets us free from self-indulgence, whether self-righteousness or self-gratification. This means that we have been freed from the lie that we can do enough to be enough, as well as the lie that to be enough, we have to take enough. And once we are liberated from these lies, we are free to love ourselves. Rather than trying to earn our way to acceptance or pleasure our way to satisfaction, we can accept the love of God for who we are. Because the creator God who made us in his image loves us for who we are, we get to love ourselves for who we are as well. A sign that you love yourself like God loves you is that you can regularly rest. Rest is evidence that you don't have to prove yourself and you don't have to satiate yourself. Rest reveals that you love yourself enough to simply be with yourself. Can we think about that for a second? One of the reasons that some of us can't be by ourselves is that we don't love the ourselves that we actually are. And so it's easier to have distractions and noises and voices and stuff going on. Because when that all goes away, we're confronted by an ugly truth. I don't actually believe that I'm lovable in the way that God says I am to be loved. So can we talk about Sabbath as I come to my close? You all knew. If you've been to our church for two years, you're like, he's going to talk about Sabbath in this sermon. Yep. The rest, which, which is an expression of the freedom to love ourselves, is something you should enjoy every single day. At least a little bit. Every single day. But we live in a very self-indulgent world. And it's easy for us to give away our freedom. Which is why God's gift of a weekly Sabbath is so important. By observing a weekly day of worship and rest, we recalibrate our freedom. We remember that our work flows from our rest with God. Rest is not a reward for your hard work. That's the cycle of self-righteousness and self-gratification. Our work flows from our rest with God. As a church, 
we do our best to observe Sundays as a weekly Sabbath of worship and rest. Not all of us can do that. Some of us have to work on Sundays. So, so you take a different day. Some of you are like, I, I don't know if I can do a whole day. I start to get the shakes even thinking about that. Some of you are in circumstances right now where legitimately, you, okay, we get that. So you start with half a day. Can't do half a day. You start with three hours. I can't do, you start with an hour. You start somewhere by setting aside some sacred time to rest as an act of self-love. What would need to change in your life so that beginning on Saturday, let's get real practical, beginning on Saturday at dinner time, all the way through supper on Sunday, you ceased your work and rested. What if Sundays, most of the time, were just for worship and rest? I know. I, I, got, I got more amens for talking about guns and stuff like that. I get it. I get it. I know. I understand. I, I know the struggle is very real. It can be hard to imagine that our God is that good. And he would say, I want you to have 24 hours to just stop, to worship with your family, to eat some good food, to waste some sanctified time, to take one of those good Sunday naps, to go on a long walk with some friends, to do whatever it is that brings you joy and peace. Could God be that good? Could God love you that much? Could God want you to love you that much? I think so. What would need to change? Maybe in the logistics and the details of your lives, but what would need to change about how you love yourself so that you could say, yeah, I'm going to take that 24 hours. I'm going to take every last second of those 24 hours as the gift God means for it to be. Freedom is loving ourselves. Let me end here. There is a purpose for the freedom won for us by Jesus. There's a purpose. We do not have to succumb to the narcissistic self-indulgence which characterizes so much of societal freedom. We have been set free from self-righteousness and self-gratification so that we can love our family, our neighbors, and ourselves. There is a purpose for our freedom. Sisters and brothers, freedom is for love because it was created by God's love. Remember what we noticed earlier, that because we could not free ourselves, Christ died for us while we were still sinners. But how many, how many of you remember how that, how that verse begins? But God demonstrates his love for us in this. It was love that compelled Jesus to take our sin onto himself for our freedom. It was love that provoked Jesus to submit to shackles and to shame for our liberation. It was love that constrained Jesus to bear the weight of this world's injustice for your salvation. It was love that held Jesus to the cross for your redemption. It was love that that, that unleashed the powers of the devil onto Jesus' broken and bruised body for your deliverance. 
It was love that held Jesus buried beneath ground, soaked with his own blood for your restoration. It was love which sent Jesus to desecrate hell where he made captivity his captive for your emancipation. It was love that that made Jesus discard his grave cloths, that rolled away his tombstone, that shook free the soil which had covered his lifeless body for our heavenly citizenship. It was love that emancipated us from evil and delivered us from death and saved us from sin so that we might know forever the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Somebody say amen. Amen. So do not indulge. Do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Do not give away what Christ has won for you, for whom the Son has set free is free indeed. So friends, live your freedom today. Love your freedom today. Jesus, our Savior, Jesus, our liberator, Jesus, the source of our freedom from head to toe. You are freedom itself. You have set us free. So Lord, show us today where we've given away any of that freedom. Show us, Lord Jesus, where we have given away anything that is rightly ours in you. God, we want to be the free people you say that we are. We want to live and to love our freedom. So God, we just say thank you today. We say thank you for the freedom that is ours. We say thank you for the way that you have liberated us. We say thank you to being faithful to us, even when we were content with the lack of freedom, even when we thought this is as good as it would ever be, you were working out our salvation, God. So we say thank you, and we love you, we love you. God, we thank you that you allow us now to use our freedom to love others. Help us to love ourselves the way that you love us. Help us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Help us to love the sisters and brothers around us today. Free us from that exhausting cycle of self-righteousness and self-gratification. We want better than that. We want all of the freedom that you have promised us. Oh, we say thank you and thank you and thank you. God, we love you today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we thank God together for the freedom that is ours? Hallelujah.